roller rollers and snake handlers and snake charmers and all kinds of things that the Buddha said that this is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for how to get out of human suffering because even the snake charmers <laughs> suffer when their wife beats them with his, with his flute. Yeah. Um, today we will um, talk about the Anapanasati Sutta, which is number 117, 118, excuse me, in the Majjhima Nikaya. Uh, and that this sutta uh, stands unique in the sense that this is the teaching of the Buddha in the application of uh, the noble eightfold path, most specifically of how to apply sati, how to apply um, uh, right effort, how to apply uh the right uh view and also how to apply one's right sama sankapa or right um <laughs> right <laughs> attitude getting distracted yeah. there so uh in any way uh this practice of the anapanasati sutta uh then has also references with the satipatthana sutta in fact it references it directly and so those two suttas become twin suttas uh and i'll explain it also uh the anapanasati sutta uh is unique in a way uh, that the beginning of it is uh, pointing out how important this sutta is. And yet many people don't put a lot of attention on it. But when you read the beginning of the sutta with the understanding of they're making a point here, this is not just, oh, this big deal kind of happened. And when it happened, it was the Anapanasati Sutta, but rather that the Buddha actually put out word that on a particular full moon evening that he was going to be giving this teaching and that word spread around. So he actually gathered together a great deal of people for this. And that it also talks about then that when that gathering happened, that he mentioned many of the names of the very famous monks including Chana and Makasapa and uh, many of the others there. I think, in fact, the one that's the surprising missing is uh, Ananda is not there. So this is also perhaps a very early sutta that was done. Was Ananda? That, well, in the sense that Ananda came to the Buddha uh, after the Buddha was teaching for 20 years. And then he stayed with him for the next 25 years. And was okay, Ananda so. a prince? Well, prince yeah, he, he actually took over the duties of what uh, uh, Siddhartha would have had uh, uh, by generation. But we're not quite sure of the governmental structure. Right. We do know that it was a really, really big, important family in the Sakian clan. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. That his dad, in fact, was uh, was the boss uh, of the time. We could call him a king because that's the kind of language that they would use. But it seemed like that he was elected for a 20 year period. And so it's uh, they it's kind of like it looks like that Ananda became the king for 20 years. And after that 20 year period, he then came and stayed with the Buddha. That seems to be what happened was is that he did his or he was elected to office for 20 years and he was elected to the office of being king. Mm-hmm. But we're Sorry. playing with language a little bit here because we yeah. really don't know the structure of their uh, of their system. Uh, in any case, mm-hmm. back to the Anapanasati Sutta. We we have uh, that not only are is gathering there, but the Buddha points out various groups with various teachers. And he points out that that, uh, some have with, uh, he didn't really put it which teacher had which group of people, but he said there are teachers here, some with 60 students, some with 40 students, some with 20 students. That was the the frame of reference. And so we're talking about really almost like a small university with the entire student body there, with all of the faculty and everything. Okay, so this is the kind of setting of the Anapanasati Sutta. Uh, And uh, then he talks about that there are those here who have uh, various steps of, of nobility. And then he talks about that there are various ones here who practice various side issues. In the sense that there are some here that are practicing the jhana. There are others here that are practicing something that is called metta. And that I present to you now with those groups, this Anapanasati. In other words, this was the Buddha's kind of an introduction to bring some unity into how to practice the uh, Eightfold and Noble Path. Because there was a lot of variety and there's an awful lot of ways of practicing jhana that People get into jhanas and they don't know what to do with them. <laughs> but the Anapanasati Sutta actually spells that out and, and it really nails it down in other suttas. Okay, so uh, this is the uh, the point about the Anapanasati. Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, in fact, has been known to say that the Buddha only taught one practice. And we can use the word meditation if we like. But they didn't have a word meditation back then. What they had was the word um, anapanasati. And the word sati is the most important one. In fact, the word sati ties it right back into the Eightfold Noble Path, as well as it also ties it directly into the sati patana. All of these key ingredients work in um, the issue of sati. And in fact, the crowning issue is uh, in the group called the Sambhojana, which is also in the Anapanasati Sutta. And that sati there means to begin to have unremitting sati. 
okay? And we can practice unremitting sati when we have sati on the in-breath and sati on the out-breath. And sati on the in-breath and sati on the out-breath. And that becomes right there unremitting sati while we're doing it. Can I ask you a question? Certainly. Um, <laughs> this is talking about the stages of inside again, but Daniel talked about how if you're stuck in equanimity, you know what that is, right? Okay. That you should make your meditation object equanimity instead of the breath. And you can, oh, you're frozen. No, no, you're fine now. So um, I'm trying to focus. Yes, that is actually something that can be done when the mind is really sharp, focused, and you know what you're doing. But if you start doing that kind of stuff as a meditation because you're a beginner and you don't know what to do, so you've heard this, that, and the other advanced technique or whatever, mm-hmm. then that's very much like a, a child sitting down and he doesn't <laughs> want to play the music that his teacher, uh, music teacher has given him. He wants to play a song he heard on the radio. <laughs> and, okay. he, and he doesn't have the sheet music and so he scrounges all over the place to get the sheet music he finds that he puts it in front of him and then he can't play it because it's too difficult what if i think i can't do that am i fooling myself then okay then go for it your okay. meditation is yours i'm you want mm-hmm. to know about anapanasati i'll teach you all about it but i can't control you in your mind i don't even care <laughs> you go play with what you want to play with but if you want to get some good results you'll listen to the buddhas talking about <laughs> anapanasati okay mm-hmm. all right so yes the buddha taught one kind of meditation and this Anapanasati, and it is a complete meditation, and it has all aspects of it, including equanimity, when the time is right. When you get your mind fit for work, then that's one of the things to work on. Mm-hmm. But your mind is not fit for work because you can't stay focused on what we're talking about. You go flittering off onto <laughs> equanimity or something, okay? You're not focused. Mm-hmm. Let's stay focused on what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. This is what we mean by it. This is that we got to pay attention. We got to focus uh, the mind uh, in the sense of removing unwholesome thoughts and keeping only wholesome thoughts in. So if we're having wholesome thoughts of the Dhamma and we're listening to the Dhamma, then we can uh, take that in and gain great delight from it. But so long as we keep taking it in and comparing to what we know here or what we have there or whatever random thought comes in from the radio or YouTube or whatever like that, (laughs) then the mind is scattered and it doesn't really grasp what we're talking about. This is why teachers at the blackboard will stand there and, and poke the blackboard making a tapping noise and then tell the kids to pay attention. Mm, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is how we have to work with the Anapanasati. And so back to the point about um, when the Buddha introduced uh, Anapanasati, he introduced it in the following ways. 
he talks about one of the points about it is, is that it is of great fruit. It is of great benefit. And then he mentions an interesting word, uh, and that is uh, uh, itiapada. Now, itiapada in the Pali means the foundation of itia, which is also cities, which is, is the word that is known as power. Now, there are two kinds of power. There is real power, and then there is magical power. <laughs> magical power is the kind of power that people in Buddhism want and never get, and they're always grasping and clinging and never getting it. And while they don't get that kind of power that they want, they fail to, to develop the kind of real power that they can have. Mm. Okay, and one of those real powers is clairvoyance. Oh, okay. You know what I mean by that? The word clairvoyance uh, means that you can see clearly. I see. You can okay. see clearly if you are paying attention and you look directly and notice and note what you're seeing, then you can see clearly. Most people don't. And so by learning to focus the mind in this way, we begin to develop some powers. But other aspects of this, actually, uh, the definitions of these powers cl closely match the definition also of sukha. In the sense of satisfaction. Uh, feeling satisfied. Mm -hmm. in this, and that's a quite great power. In the beginning, it's, it's finally, finally, I'm satisfied. Finally, I can relax. Mm -hmm. But later, when we really need power, that's satisfied. If I'm satisfied with the moment, then I can really deal with this moment and deal with it as a lion. <laughs> okay, without anger, without frustration, just everything is okay, and I've got this one, right? And we can deal with it. So... This is the uh, uh, the the power of feeling um, secure, invincible, fearless. is is a feeling that we generate, but then it becomes a power. And so these <laughs> are the powers. Another power that is there is actually the power of wealth. Wealth is power, right? Money. But guess what? Something. We're not talking about right. money. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the attitude that I've got plenty. <laughs> I got plenty of mojo. I got plenty of happiness. I got plenty of dhamma. I got all we need and a whole bunch more. <laughs> Have a gold brick or two on me. That's wealth. Okay. Generosity. <laughs> so this is the powers that are talked about that the Buddha recommends that we practice for Anapanasati. And then he also says that we practice, and this part that I'm about to talk about here is repeated several times throughout the suttas. And because it's repeated that way, I'll go ahead and lead you through it before we go into the middle part of the sutta. Okay, and that is, is that we practice anapanasati for the fulfillment of the four foundations of mindfulness. Okay, 
by saying that, that's why he said, or that's why he's vindicating, because of that is the basis that in fact Anapanasati is broken down into body, feelings, mind, and mind objects, the way that it's broken down. But that's not the way that it's to be practiced, that's the way that it's to be set out in the sense of, um, let us say, an organized formal example. And that happens within other systems also, um, where you study this system, and then you study this system over there, and then you can bring these things together in mm-hmm. correlation. Okay, so uh, with Anapanasati, we put it into this context of the four foundations of mindfulness with body, feelings, mind, and mind objects. And then each one of these is broken down into four groups, mm-hmm. leaving us with 16 stages of Anapanasati. Stage uh, 16, okay, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that they are actually heavily overlapping. Okay. Heavily overlapping, and that uh, the the heaviest part of the overlapping is with the body, the feelings, and the mind, where the mind objects uh, takes a different turn, and that really that one cannot be correctly understood without looking at other suttas to compare them to find out really what's going on. Yeah, so... um, and by the way, one of those sutras would be 111, one by one as they occur, where uh, uh, the Buddha is talking about Sariputta's practice, to where okay. what is worthy of noting when the mind is really fit for work is one of these objects of uh, equanimity. But there's a whole lot of other stuff in there first that the mind needs to focus on and get it down so that we've got the strength of mind. Okay, so this is actually an exercise in getting the mind very strong. Mm-hmm. And then that strong mind then begins to be one of those powers that was mentioned. So one of the benefits is, is that you wind up having a very strong mind and also very quick. And so very puta in that um, uh, sutta 111 has uh, quick wisdom, strong wisdom, and also laughing wisdom. Sometimes (laughs) it is joyous wisdom. All right, so this is the kind of wisdom that Sari Puta has, and so you can see that that's part of that power. And that uh, we're developing powers with the body, we're developing powers with the feelings, and we're developing powers with the mind by understanding the nature of the mind with the powers that we gain through the usage of the fourth group, what's called Dhammanupassana, which would be in the old system, the body would be earth. The feelings would be water, the mind would be fire, and uh, Uh mental objects would be the air. This Mm -hmm. is the old uh, elemental system that uh, was around many hundreds of years that the Greeks had it, Romans had it, Persians had it, Indians had it, Chinese Mm -hmm. had it. It's all over the place, okay? These four basic elements, which is nothing but what we now know is to be various gradients in temperature. 
If you get uh, anything cold enough, a matter. Uh -huh, anything yeah. you get cold enough for mm -hmm. it, it will become solid. If you get it a little bit warmer than that, it, whatever it is, will become a liquid. Mm -hmm. And then if you can get it to burn, it will burn. <laughs> okay. And if it burns, it will smoke. And uh, this is a very scientific question. What about uh, super states or whatever? There's other you states. You will have to ask your scientific <laughs> questions to the old philosophers of more than 3,000 years ago that came up with this system. But the, but it was part of the way of looking at the mind. It was a mindset or a categorization system that people had in the time. And so the, the Buddha used that as a convenient reference to put the body, mind, feeling system into. Okay, mm -hmm. it just kind of plugged in there. And so he used that as an example because basically what we're talking about here is that they don't um, and this was also true of the people who practice meditations. They were practicing meditations that had to do with external objects. Mm -hmm. External objects like casinos. Okay, fire meditations, uh, uh, air meditations, crystal gazing, water meditations. Uh, all of these kind of meditation objects were well known long before the time of the Buddha. And that mm. people could get themselves into all kinds of interesting mystical states and have all kinds of mental adventures in there because they really know what they're doing. <laughs> but they were sometimes enjoyable and sometimes quite frightening. As basically, it was, you know, whatever world that you want to create inside your mind uh, can, can be done. Uh, and so including the development of strong uh, mental capabilities were known back then. But Buddha was looking for something different. He was looking not for those kind of powers of, of mental control or mental um, object maneuvers or any of this, that kind of stuff, whether it existed or not, or, uh, in reality, or just in the minds of the people who believe strongly enough that they had such powers, that they convinced <laughs> other people that they had them, but it was only a matter of mind control rather than uh, mind actually creating magical powers. So, uh, people are very good at that. <laughs> mind control. And when they get caught, they're called liars and charlatans and frauds and all of that kind of stuff. The, the people who believe in it, gosh, it's real. <laughs> and there's holy rollers and snake handlers and snake charmers and all kinds of things that the Buddha said that this is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for how to get out of human suffering because even the snake charmers <laughs> suffer when their wife beats them with his, with his flute. Yeah. Okay, so he's looking for something else. He's not looking for that kind of power anymore. Uh, he's looking for, in fact, a way of cleaning the mind out and that's what he's turned. He started turning all of those objects of meditation that everyone was using and taught him and whatnot 
on the, from the outside to the inside. Now, there were already groups working with the breath, and so he borrowed from them. This was something that, in fact, he talked about is the fact that it was like he put an old mechanism back together. And an example of that would be that there was a uh, a grandfather clock just sitting around. Everybody knew about it. They know that it should tick and talk, but it doesn't, and they don't know what to do about it. And there's been furious people inspecting it and looking at it and whatnot like that. And some kid comes on and he pulls this thing and he puts it like that and he pushes it back and he says, hey, this is what's going on. And now it starts working. Okay. Now what happens is, is that because the stories get around, this kid is now responsible for the entire clock. But all he did was just put something together. And that's what the Buddha did. He put something together that is almost so simple, it's like a light switch. <laughs> so present moment, right? It's, uh, right. It's, yeah. uh, it's the, that's part of it. Absolutely. The question or the key to Dukkha, Dukkha Rhoda is to be here now, literally. Because in this present moment, there is no suffering. So you're right. That's absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. And there's more to it than that, but that's basically it. But another way that we can say it would also be from that phrase that the Buddha came up with when he was figuring this stuff out was, aha, I see you, Mara. (laughs) All right. Now, what that's an indication of is so many other suttas, including with the Anapanasati Sutta. In fact, the Anapanasati Sutta has a very specific way of looking at it. But what we're talking about with um, I see you, Myra, is that um, we can see that this thought in the mind is unwholesome, that it's a double. It's the world, <laughs> okay? This is why the word Myra or Myra um, or Maya have so many definitions, but they're all metaphors back to the to the unwholesome thoughts that we have in the mind. It's like in, in uh, English, uh, the joke is, is that the devil made me do it. <laughs> okay. And that uh, the cartoon has an angel on one side shoulder whispering in one ear and the devil is on the other whispering in the other ear. Okay. So this is, in fact, uh, our, um, you could say in the sense of the wholesome versus unwholesome, but you could also see it in the sense of greed versus uh, the desire to get rid of. But in any case, this aha, I see you, Myra, aha, I see you, unwholesome thought. Hmm. That means that now because we can see it, we can do something about it. We can remove it. Thoughts are easy to remove if that's our intention reason that they're not so easy to remove is because generally it's not our intention to remove them <laughs> okay that, that in fact the buddha makes one point about it is uh that's in uh, sutta number 20 i think uh where there are five stages of things that you can do to remove unwholesome thoughts and one of them is like suppose that you're just looking at an ugly ugly object stop looking at it and all you have to do is just look away. I don't want to look at that, you know? All right, well, you can do that exactly as easily with the thoughts. 
just as easy. You just don't want to look at it. You just throw it out. You just turn <laughs> your head. Okay, this is how easy it is. So uh, this is actually um, the very, very first start of it. If we're looking at it in the sense of how to practice, as opposed to how to look at it in the sense of what are each of the four steps of the body? What are the, each of the four steps of the uh, of the the feelings what are the uh, four steps of the mind and what are the four steps of let's wait for a little while and start uh instead of looking at it as a keyboard with a scale let's look at it in the sense of chords that we can play and so we'll we'll approach mm -hmm. it from that direction all right so with sati in the eightfold noble path that's the practice that is uh just you, you know, the key ingredient, this is in fact it. If we can't remember to practice correctly, then we're not going to practice correctly. So <laughs> the key ingredient then of all of Buddhist systems is mm -hmm. to remember, to wake up and remember that we have a choice here. Okay, and that waking up process is done there at step nine of Anapanasati to wake up and experience the mind. Mm -hmm. So this waking up and experiencing the mind then uh, is right view and right sati, but it also then immediately brings in right effort in the sense of step 10 of Anapanasati is to gladden the mind. Mm -hmm. And the word gladdened is used there, but another word we could use would be to brighten the mind, which we've already talked about this. <laughs> Now we're seeing this is actually where it lies. It lies in this sutta, and this mm -hmm. sutta is the way of the practice of how the system is laid out. Mm -hmm. And so all of this stuff fits exactly together. It all fits together. But when it's introduced to the students as bits and pieces, so this week we'll do Satipatthana, and this week we'll do Anapanasati, and this week we'll do the Eightfold Noble Path, and this week we'll do that, uh, Four Noble Truths or something like that, then the students get an idea that it's disjointed. That there's uh, this, I've got to run this, five things of this, and four of that, and five more of that, and seven of this, and eight of that, and nine of this, and 12 of them things, and 16 <laughs> of Anapanasati, you know, and it's just like um, kind of overwhelming to where really it um, all of these are like the labels that we would have on, uh, let us say, a, a mechanism like a clock mm -hmm. that was at the school to where every piece was properly labeled. With, it, with its function and all of that kind of stuff so that it would become very intuitive of how that plugs in, mm. okay? But in mm. fact, the plug-in between the teaching of the Satipatthana and the Paticca Samapada, the plug-in there is the five aggregates. So that you take the Four Noble Truths, turn it into the five aggregates, and then it plugs immediately right into the uh, Paticca Samapada which we'll talk about more, but the important thing is to understand that all of this stuff fits together. It comes together almost like uh, what is known as a, uh, sometimes a Chinese uh, wooden box puzzle. I'm not familiar. You're not familiar. Okay, you could mm -hmm. also think of it as then a jigsaw puzzle. Mm -hmm. 
And so every day the student is given about 10 or 20 pieces and they try to take it to the table <laughs> to see if these fit in with that over there and all of this kind of stuff and 10 more pieces tomorrow and 10 more <laughs> And it's really hard to put all of this stuff together. Mm. But if we can get an overview of the fact that we're actually talking about how to get the mind almost immediately out of the first uh, noble truth of there is dukkha, I'm worried, mm. into immediately the third noble truth. Immediately, that's all <laughs> about, and I've just gladdened the mind, and I've got it. It is, that mm -hmm. it is not dukkha, uh, dukkha, 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 naroda forever, <laughs> and, and finally some, uh, or dukkha forever, and finally some naroda. Finally, we get it done. Okay, this is actually the Western thought of delayed gratification to where the uh -huh. teachings of the Buddha has to do with what you're doing right now. Mm. Okay, yeah. and so the Anapanasati Sutta, as a general context, is taught so that we can understand clearly the Satipatthana. But the Satipatthana is taught clearly so that we can understand the Sambhujanga. And the Sambhujanga then leads to the understanding of knowledge and deliverance. Uh -huh. Now, this word knowledge and deliverance is a coupled pair of Pali words um, that Vimuti and Moksha, I think, but I'm not sure. But in any case, they appear in many different suttas. And that you can actually think of these two things as the English language word enlightenment. Mm -hmm. But there, the word enlightenment has two qualities to it. And so does this pair of words that is known as or translated as knowledge and deliverance. Okay, so the first kind of enlightenment is knowledge or the light of day, sunlight. We can mm -hmm. see when mm -hmm. the lights are clairvoyance. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, not just clairvoyance, being able to see. See uh -huh. dukkha. See everything. See okay. exactly what's going on inside one's own mind and understand that human minds are built that way. And so you can understand the minds of others. You don't know the content, but you can certainly see their behavior. But there's so, a whole lot more seeing to be done. So wait, what is clairvoyance again? Yeah, okay. Well, it's like this. that uh, we're, huh, we're standing at the doorway <laughs> of a darkened room. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm about to uh, talk about turning the lights on. And when I do, you're naming a few of the objects that you think you'll recognize once the lights are turned on. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying don't categorize too much. <laughs> we don't know. Because yet. once the lights are turned on, this is a whole room for, I'm a whole Dhamma to look at. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff in there, so don't uh, categorize it too much into just one thing like clairvoyance. All right, so it's really okay. a whole lot more to it than that. Okay. So the next kind of enlightenment is when things are no longer heavy, they're light. The reason that they're light is because we have, in fact, one of the things that we have seen is uh, ropes and bondages that keep us mm -hmm. tied down. And mm -hmm. so we decide now with the deliverance to cut those ropes, mm -hmm. to cut those fetters. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. So that we can float up into the air. 
Each fetter we see, we can cut. And the first way that we start doing that is start cutting out thoughts that are unwholesome because that's one more thread of the bondage normally that we have. Mm. Okay, so this is why step 10 is so important of gladdening the mind. Gladdening the mind, keeping the mind gladdened, which means brightened up which means wholesome thoughts, <laughs> which means freedom from unwholesome thoughts. Okay, and so all of these sutras fit together with this. Okay, so once we do that, the next thing that we do with one's right effort is, is that we take that sati that just occurred that we use to gladden the mind. Uh, we now turn it to the breath which this can be done within a split second, literally within <laughs> more than uh, easily down there to half or a quarter of a second, that you can just throw those thoughts out, gladden the mind, and part of the gladdening the mind is a new deep in-breath. Well, I don't have to think about that anymore, but, that, but the words, well, I'm glad I don't have to think <laughs> about that anymore, is a long awesome. time. You can get the feeling almost immediately in the here now, like, oh, never mind, and just throw that stuff out. So this is where step one and two, most specifically about Apanisati, come in, and that is the mindfulness of breathing. Now, if you're doing long, slow breathing, then that means that there's gaps maybe between the mindfulness and there's all kinds of other stuff to do, to where if you're doing the short breathing, because of the mindfulness of each in-breath and out-breath and continuing that, there's not a whole lot more going on rather than just the short breathing. Mm -hmm. you got to really pay attention to keep it going. And so we begin to feel things and learn things and get lightheaded and all kinds of stuff, but wow, it is certainly not duper. <laughs> and so... Uh, when we practice this way with, with these various stages, what happens when we gladden the mind and energize the body, then the feelings begin to kick in automatically. Now, they can kick in in one of two ways. One of the ways that they can kick in is with uh, feelings of anxiety, of worry, or frustration, then in fact the students begin to get very, very acutely aware of how they feel. And many of them don't then know what to do about it after they have those acute feelings. They don't know what to do, but they, but they recognize them. Then in fact, this is the kind of thing that will lead to the noting system that is not working correctly into things like the dark night of the soul. So they're very, very good at noting negative feelings and have no skills at changing the way they feel. This is, in fact, an, an important process that we're doing. 
that process is, is that we're beginning to change the way we think, change the way we breathe, and if we can actually take control of the breath and change the way we're breathing, then we can change the mind, we can control the mind, and by doing that correctly, we also begin to change the way we feel. Uh-huh. We begin to change the way we feel from the anxiety and the worries and the frustrations and the tension, we begin to intentionally gladden the mind and then monitor the mind to begin to feel the way that we are thinking. So if we feel like this is a wonderful breath and we say what's a wonderful breath, then let us experience that in fact, this is a really good breath. This is a lot of fun, this breathing stuff. This is quite magnificent, and and we feel really good by doing it. Hmm. So, we also begin to feel good in the sense that uh, we feel secure and comfortable and satisfied. This is the sukha. Okay, at this level, we're talking about now step six of Anapanasati, and we develop that also as a skill. Just like sati itself is a skill to be developed, that gladdening the mind is a skill to be developed, inspecting and and, uh, noting the mind is a skill to be developed, and taking control of the breathing is a skill to be developed. Now we begin to understand that one's own joy and happiness is a skill also to be developed. This is it at that point of sukha. The sukha is, is that this is really nice. This really feels good. This is great stuff. Which is beyond a thought. It's now an experience because you can actually have it as a feeling that we don't have feelings of worry or anxiety or tension. That we have feelings of everything's okay. Everything is fine. All right, so now we're practicing step six with step one and two. We're going to notice in step three, the body is. Begin to notice uh, what's happening with our environment. But also with this thinking now, with that feeling, more time is the center. So we're listening better, seeing better. We're not thinking so much. And thinking that we're doing is not scattered all over the place. It's probably kind of localized in the fact that we're only having really good thoughts. And paying attention to the breathing, paying attention to what the mind is doing. This is how we develop in those feelings. So as we begin to get good at this, we begin to recognize that we get this and have knowledge that we can get this. And because of that understanding and knowledge that we can practice this and get good at this, now we're building the qualities called success. Success is a little bit different than a satisfaction. But guess what? Success is also one of the powers, one of the idiopotics. One of the idiots. The pada are actually the basis of power, or the uh, eightfold noble path you can talk about. Okay, so this all ties together that way. But the power then that comes from the practice of the eightfold noble path is power 
of satisfaction. Satisfaction and success. The real success. Wow, we can do this. I am successful. We can accomplish this. And so this is when the fourth ingredient of the Eightfold Noble Path, Samal Sankapa, really starts to grow as a skill. The skill of right attitude, and our right attitude will then guide our right thoughts. So long as we have the attitude of a, uh, 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 a victim, so long as we have an attitude that's just a hard book and that I've got to struggle and work the effort, all of those kinds of negative kinds of things, have just the uh, uh, loser's attitude or victim's attitude, we change that into the winner's attitude of I can do this. I'm successful at this. This is where we add step. Oh. You You're back. Yeah. Okay. And that step five of Anapanasati is what is the Pali word is pity. A lot of people don't understand pity, and I think the biggest problem with it is is that it's translated into English as rapture. And we're kind of stuck with that word as rapture. Nobody knows what the word rapt is. Okay. But we do understand words like euphoric. And it also has the quality of feeling really on top of the game. Like you've really got this. We're developing that feeling that this is really nice, that we can control this, that we have some power now. This power of satisfaction. And there's many examples that we have of this out in the world. And in fact, this is the goal that almost everyone wants. Sports people, they want that thrill of uh, uh, the win. They want that thrill of the win so much that they're willing to um, put up with the agony of defeat over and over and over again, and their life then becomes kind of a defeat. Because uh, uh, everybody wants it. There's, there's everybody wants that gold medal, and only one's going to get it. And everybody else has to suffer the defeat of wanting it and not getting it. And so that's the suffering. Uh, that stupa is not getting it. Now, for the first time, we're actually going to get what we want. And the thrill of doing it. Going to do it inside one's own mind. And then it's up to us as a choice. That's thrilling. That's euphoric. Recognize that we can do this. And so you allow that euphoria. Just stop a second and experience that. Just let yourself feel really good that you can do this. Just allow it to be your success. You could do this. 
it almost feels like that the muscles in the arm want to contract. The arm want to go up into the air, just like at a football game. What does the guy do when he wins the match? He throws his arms in the air, right? What do the people in the stands do that are on the, the who who have the thought this is my team that won this touchdown or that's my guy who won the touchdown? They cheer and rave. Yippee. In fact, this is the reason people go to football games is to get that thrill. This thrill that we're talking about, that is the pity. The exhilaration, the feeling that I've got this. This is good stuff. <laughs> and it can be generated. This is actually part of the uh, Anapanasati Sutta. But now things begin to click into place in another regard. And that is, is that we're actually developing five factors and bringing them together. Each one is a skill. Number one of all is, is that the mind does not have any unwholesome thoughts. There's no hindrances there for us to practice correctly. Number two, we've got satisfaction. We've got comfort, security, safety, contentment satisfaction and now later we begin to build this triumphal part of it of euphoric winning uh i've got this that feeling of can do you can call it the lion's pose <laughs> the feeling that we're on top of the world we become emperor of our own pile of dirt <laughs> We find our own top of our own pile of dirt. And so we take that regard as when the boss here, we got we got this why feel the way we want to feel, and right now we feel really, really good. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that really, really good feeling then is the pity that we've just added with the sukha. And we've already added that to the seclusion from the unwholesome thoughts. We've got the mind energized with the breathing which means now we can focus and really pay attention. And this is what is referred to as gathering of the samati factors. The, the samati means gathering of the factors, and we've just gathered the five factors of the first jhana. This is the first jhana. is this pity and sukha and wholesome thoughts a feeling of euphoria, a feeling of I've got this, a feeling of let me at them. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. And so this is the way that we practice with these first three parts of the Anapanasati. That's why they overlap. And in fact, each one of them has an investigation. Each one of them has a development. Each one of them is a skill to be developed. And each one of them has a nurturing point with that skill. And the nurturing point with the body is step four of Anapanasati, which is basically just to relax. You've already you got it made. You're the champion here. You know, we got this wired. No worries, made. And so we get into a state of complete relaxation. So this relaxation of um, step four of Anapanasati is also sometimes uh, referenced with the first jhana as sort of the sixth factor is relaxation of the body. 
And so now we have one, two, three, and four of Anapanasati already mentioned. We got step five of Pitti, six of Sukha. We have yet to do seven and eight. We have already done step nine and 10, and we have yet to do step 11 and 12 and on. But we've got that many. So look how many notes we've got already. We got about half the scale gone. Okay, so this is the way that we begin practice. And the important point is the outcome of that feeling of being on top of the world and also the having the mind uh, on alert to guard first. The first thing that we're going to guard, the important thing now to uh, to look at is to make sure that the mind stays wholesome. Mm-hmm. That's the first job that we do because you've been in wholesome, unwholesome mix all along. It was like the, the doors to the mind have always been open and any old door <laughs> could pass in and out. Now we're going to start guarding that door and we're going to only allow wholesome thoughts in and not allow unwholesome. And so this is where we're practiced now and, and start to gain the skill of just being able to sit in that state with one wholesome thought after another, after another, relaxed. And if there are unwholesome thoughts, should we go back are, to the... If there are are wholesome thoughts, throw them out. Aha, I caught you. (laughs) I see you. Out you go. Okay. Then we can say, I'm glad that's gone. And now we're back into wholesome thoughts. Yeah, everything's okay. That guy's gone now. I don't have to worry about him coming back. He's gone. Everything's going to be all right. Everything is safe and secure. Everything is competent. Everything is comfortable. Everything is secure. Wow, this is nice. Okay, so going over the factors of um, uh, sukha, going over the factors of sukha over and over will help create them so that when you have thoughts of safety and security, you'll begin to have feelings of safety and security, which is part of the relaxation, by the way, of the body. We don't have to be on alert anymore because there's no danger right now. So we need to have thoughts of there's no danger, no alligators, no crocodiles, no bugs, no ants, no wives, <laughs> nothing. Everything is all right. Everything is everything is comfortable. The weather is fine. No problems. And so the body begins to relax with that, as well as we're developing that feeling of uh Actually, we can call it well-being, the feeling of well-being. This is the practice of Anapanasati, making the mind really fit for work. And the first job that we give it is, is to make sure that every thought is wholesome. Later, once we're able to do that, we can actually work on seeing and experiencing equanimity once we can get into it. But you can't go investigate your way into it without going through the, the beginning part of it. That's the open to the mind then. So we'll talk about equanimity at another time and other things like that. And so right now we've got a kind of a basis for the Anaconda And we'll plug in some of the holes in time.
So you have any questions before we finish? Uh, uh, I think I'm good. You think you got it, huh? I don't know if I got it. But <laughs> well, go do it. <laughs> do it. You know you can do it. Mm-hmm. You can you can get that um, that mojo. You can get that attitude. Oh, should I make my uh, practice short breathing then? If I want to, instead of long breathing? If you like. I've got no problem with the with the breathing because while you're doing that, you're developing sati. Uh, I you're think energizing the body and making it very healthy. So well, I can't complain at all. <laughs> <laughs> but but don't neglect the other parts of anapanasati. The uh, catch of the mind. Right, to make sure that this thought is wholesome. That, like we talked about before, while you're doing step two of the short breath. But by the way, you're very good at it. Congratulations. <laughs> you're paying attention. Thank you. So, and while I, you're doing that, it's hard to pay much attention to everything else, anything <laughs> else. And so while I'm talking and you're doing it, it's a little bit hard to pay attention, but at least you have no time left <laughs> thoughts at all. So you've got only wholesome thoughts going on during that time. That's why that breathing breathing is so valuable. Is because it's really hard to have unwholesome thoughts while <laughs> doing that kind of breathing. Yeah, I can do it after yeah. I run. Actually. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's continue then oh, later. Okay. Oh. All right. Mm-hmm. So I'll see you. Next couple of days, you continue your practice, Mm -hmm. getting wholesome thoughts, wholesome thoughts, one wholesome, happy thought, one after another. Thank you. Okay. All righty. 